Good morning. Have you ever been so embarrassed that you just wanted to crawl under a rock and hide? It happens, right? I, my wife, Carla, and I had just moved here from Minnesota a couple years ago, well, I guess nine years ago or so, in 2015. And um, Having just moved here, um, it was a beautiful fall day. I went and took my uh, dog out for a walk in the neighborhood where we lived. And uh, as I was walking through this neighborhood where you know, our brand new neighbors and everything, I happened to see a woman in, the, uh, in her front window waving at me. And I was like, that is so nice. What a great neighborhood. So I waved enthusiastically back until I realized she wasn't waving at me. She was washing her windows. I was so embarrassed. And then she saw me. And I'm like, oh, how do you recover from that? I was even more embarrassed. It was awful. It happens. You know what I mean. But imagine this. Imagine if this moment, imagine that the moment doesn't just last for a few minutes, but goes on and on and on. And imagine that this moment isn't the result of some silly, embarrassing blunder on your part, but actually impacts the core of your being, right? Your identity. If you can begin to imagine that, I think you'll begin to imagine this thing called shame. But unlike embarrassment, shame can be dangerous because shame can paralyze your confidence. It can wither your spirit. It can destroy your will and poison your relationships. It can lead to anger. It can lead to problems with addiction. Shame can lead to eating disorders. It can lead to depression. Shame is nasty business. And my guess is all of you sitting here, all of you watching online right now, you know that it is everywhere. Shame is everywhere. There's the shame that a kid feels because they are always picked last. There's the shame that comes from being home all alone again on the weekend while all your other friends are either in serious relationships or are already married. There's the shame that comes from meeting a classmate who has gone so much, who has done so much more with their, with their life than, than you. There's the shame that comes from filing for bankruptcy. The shame that comes from, um, from uh, going through divorce. The shame that comes from being fired. All kinds of shame. It's a heaviness that leaves you feeling as though you really don't measure up and maybe never will. That's shame. And it's been around since the beginning of time. You can find it throughout the pages of the Bible. There's the shame with Adam and Eve after they fell into sin. The shame of David when he commits adultery with Bathsheba. In the New Testament, there's shame, I'm sure, that is felt by tax collectors and people with leprosy. The woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears. The woman who had the flow of blood. All kinds of shame. For those of you who are here for the first time, we are in this series, as Roy mentioned a moment ago, called Overcome. And in this series, we're simply looking at those parts of our life that can be overwhelming and debilitating, but in the power and strength of God can be overcome. So two weeks ago, we started this series by looking at how to overcome adversity and how we can overcome that by knowing what we believe in God's word and grieving it so we can get on with our life and knowing on whom we can lean. We can lean on God and other people who will be there to support us. Last Sunday, Pastor Dave was here, and he did a great job talking about how to overcome fear. 
And not only did he identify some of the more common fears that we face, but he also reminded us of the tools that can help us deal with fear. You know, being in God's word on a regular daily basis, being involved in worship and in church, and of course, keeping your eyes focused on Jesus the whole time. Today, we're looking at shame. And what I want to do is I want to look at some different common types of shame that exist out there. And then I want to look at how those different kinds of shame can impact us in different kinds of ways. For example, one common shame is destructive shame. And just like its name sounds, destructive shame is awful. It is brutal. It is damaging. It is toxic. And destructive shame usually flows into your life one of two ways. One way by which destructive shame comes to is through other people. Okay, and unfortunately, a lot of these people are people you know. It could be a parent or a spouse or another family member or a friend. And whether these people are inflicting destructive shame through their words or their actions, or even social media posts, it leaves you feeling as though you are not smart enough, or you're not pretty enough, that you're not uh, successful enough, or popular enough, or special enough, or whatever enough. It's awful. Destructive shame is awful. And, And just so you understand how destructive shame gets its power, you need to realize most of its power comes from this thing called deceit. People will simply lie about you. They'll simply make up things about you, and they'll use that to shame you. And God hates that. In Proverbs 6, it says, There are six things the Lord hates. And one of the things on the list is this, a lying tongue. God despises that, not just because it's a lie, but because it contradicts the truth about you. A truth that is reflected by David in Psalm 139, where he says, Lord, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The truth about you and me is that we are God's masterpiece. So keep that in mind, because it doesn't matter what people say to you or do to you or post about you. You are the stunning handiwork of God himself. Never forget that. A second common way by which destructive shame can flow into your life is through, no surprise, the devil. He is constantly looking for ways to destroy you and to beat you down so that you live in fear, like we talked about last week, or to get you to live in shame, like we're talking about today. And while other people will inflict destructive shame upon you through their words and through their actions, Satan loves to inflict destructive shame by messing with your mind. He will get into your head and he'll start getting you to replay those destructive lies again and again and again. And that shouldn't surprise you because that's what the devil does. He lies. In John 8, Jesus says, when the devil lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Or Revelation 12 describes him as the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world. That's what, this, that's what the devil does. His goal is to lie to you, to deceive you, to shame you into thinking you are unworthy. You are no good. You're a nobody. Of course, it's just a lie. 
Because in the eyes of God, you're not a nobody. You're a somebody, right? You're somebody worth the life of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And as it says in Romans 8, verse 1, look at this. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that through faith in Jesus, not only are you God's masterpiece, more importantly, you are God's child. You are his son. You are his daughter. And as his child, destructive shame no longer has power to condemn you. Because of Jesus, destructive shame no longer has power to condemn you. So that's destructive shame. But there's another common type of shame that's just as harmful that you need to be aware of, and it's called manipulative shame. And this kind of shame is where people will threaten to withdraw their friendship or their love or their support or their acceptance if you don't do what they want you to do. And it's a very cruel and spiteful way to act and to control another person. But people do it a lot because it works a lot. In fact, there are times when um, this kind of manipulative shame is far more effective in controlling somebody else's behavior than praise or even the threat of punishment. How about that? So maybe some of you sitting here have experienced that kind of manipulative, coercive shame. Maybe you grew up in in a home where being manipulated like that was just part of a normal part of the day. Maybe you experienced that shame from a boss or maybe a teacher or a coach. Maybe you went to a church where shame was the primary tool used to motivate you. Whatever it is, manipulative shame can leave you hurt and wounded. Now, the good news is that there is a way to deal with this shame. The way to overcome manipulative shame and destructive shame is this. You stop hiding it. Seriously, find a trusted friend or family member and bring your shame out into the open so that it stops holding power over you. You know, maybe it would help to see a good Christian counselor to help you deal with these issues. Uh, maybe it's, it would be good to be and be a blessing for you to be in a, in a small group um, with other brothers and sisters in Christ who will be there to support you and love you. Maybe it, uh, you might want to uh, join a support group like the one that meets here every Tuesday night called Life Hurts, God Heals. Whatever it is, stop hiding it. <laughs> stop, stop hiding it. If it's hidden, it has power over you. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 says, encourage one another and build each other up. Find people who will support you and accept you, people with whom you're going to feel loved and encouraged and with whom you can feel like you can share your shame so that it no longer has, its, has you in its grip. Along with destructive shame and manipulative shame is a third common shame called reflective shame. Now, reflective shame is different than those other two. And let me explain what I mean. All of you sitting here, all of you watching me online, all of you are sinners. You are. And because of that, you will do bad things, right? We, we do bad things all the time. We're greedy. We are envious. We're lustful. We're impatient. We're hot-tempered. We do bad things. And those bad things can leave us feeling awful because of what we've done. Because we've either hurt ourselves and made a mess of our life, or we've hurt somebody else and we made a mess of their life. 
Either way, we feel awful about these bad things that we've done. And those awful feelings come about because of this thing called reflective shame. Reflective shame points out the truth about you. You're a sinner. You're going to mess things up. That's what the Bible says in Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So yes, when you do something wrong, right? When you fail to be the person God wants you to be and you feel that shame, that shame is reflective shame. And another name, which you may have already figured out, another name for reflective shame is guilt. Now, like destructive shame and manipulative shame, reflective shame has been around since the beginning of time too. In, Genesis, in the second chapter of Genesis, you can read, for example, about how Adam and Eve, after God created them, were placed in the Garden of Eden, and they were naked, and they felt no shame. There were no secrets. There was nothing hidden. And then you go to the next chapter, chapter 3, and everything blows apart because Adam and Eve do sin. But look what it says here in verse 7 of chapter 3. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Notice what Adam and Eve do after they sin. They try to cover themselves, and it wasn't because it just got cold in the Garden of Eden. It was because they were trying to cover their shame, their guilt. And people have been trying to do that ever since, and they've come up with all kinds of ideas. One plan that people might use is the be good plan. And the be good plan is very simple. You just, you know, do enough good things and you live up to the expectations and the standards of your parents and your spouse and your friends and even God. You will be able to deal with and cover over your shame, the guilt that you feel. And people buy this. They do this all the time. People will, will do more. They will work harder. They will try to be better, but it doesn't work. Because as it says in Ecclesiastes 7, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. So the be good plan, plan A, will never work because you will always mess up. You will always do something wrong, no matter how hard you try. And Paul talks about that in Romans 7. He says, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. So no matter how hard you try, you on your own will never be good enough. You won't. And the shame will still be there. There it is. So people try plan B. And plan B, plan B is the think good thoughts plan. People recognize they can't do enough so that they'll never be good enough or do enough. So they lower the bar and they say to themselves, I'm okay the way that I am. Lots of people do that too. I'm good with me. I like how I am. And yet, simply thinking enough good thoughts about yourself does not bridge this gap that exists between who you are as a sinner and the person that God wants you to be as his child. So like plan A, plan B does not resolve or do anything to remove or cover the shame and the guilt that you feel either. Then there is plan C. Thankfully, there is plan C. And that's the grace plan where God gives you grace. And unlike plan A and plan B, plan C does not, is not based on what you do or, or on what you earn or what you deserve. It is just God giving you grace. 
And that's good news because some of you have been wrestling with shame. You've been hiding shame for years. Some of you have just kind of experienced some shame because of people you've hurt and choices you've made. And now you've got this guilt that you're feeling. Regardless, the point is that God will provide you or he does provide you with what you need to deal with your shame. And what, he, what you need is a savior. And God gives you that savior in Jesus or in the verse that Roy read a moment ago from Hebrews 12, it says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus went to the cross to experience the fullness of all shame. Think about it. On the cross, he experienced destructive shame, right? People were mocking and ridiculing him and beating him up. And he experienced manipulative shame on the cross too. People were taunting him saying, oh yeah, if you're the son of God, then come down from the cross and then be the Messiah we want you to be. And of course he experienced, he experienced the full weight of your shame and my shame because of our sin. But remember what, what Hebrews 12 says, he scorned the shame. What does that mean? It means that he didn't allow a shame-filled world to stop him from earning the grace and the love and the forgiveness that people like you and me need. No, he paid the debt that we could not pay. He died the death that was rightfully ours, right? He suffered the punishment that should have been inflicted on us, but he did it. And he did it all so that we could experience and enjoy acceptance and forgiveness and peace. And that is grace. That is grace. Just a quick show of hands. How many of you have ever been to a fun house and you've seen one of those wavy mirrors? You ever been to one of those? Yeah, okay. So if, you've, if you haven't, you stand in front of these mirrors and, and you know, you stand in one spot, spot, you're kind of short and wide, and then you move over a little bit and then all of a sudden you're tall and thin. And those mirrors are designed, intentionally designed to distort your image like that. It's silly, but it's, you know, that's what it is. Shame distorts your image. That's what shame does. But here's the thing. In Jesus, you have a brand new mirror that you can look into. And the mirror is found in God's eyes. In Psalm 17, the psalmist prays to God, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. See the words there, apple of your eye? That's another way of saying, keep me as the loved one in your eyes. And it comes, this idea comes from the fact that if you get close enough to another human being and look into their eye, you can actually see a reflection of yourself there. It really works. I don't want you to do it here. It'd be kind of weird. You'd be really close and people start moaning. So just don't do that. But it works. The point is that God invites you into this intimate relationship with him. He wants you to get as close to him as possible. And that happens, right? We know how that happens. As when you're in his word and doing daily devotions each day, when you're talking to God and connecting to him in prayer throughout the day, when you join together with the other brothers and sisters in Christ in corporate worship, when you do those things, understand this, when you do those things, the Holy Spirit is at work helping you to see and understand who you are. And who are you? You are the apple of God's eye. That's who you are. And that is how you overcome shame. 
you remember that you are the apple of God's eye. And I would like you to just turn to the person sitting next to you, look at them and say, you are the apple of God's eye. Go ahead and do that. You are the apple of God's eye. You in the back row, you're the, ba- you're the apple of God's eye. You guys up front, you're the apple of God's eye. It doesn't matter what your, fla- your failings or flaws may be. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong or how you might feel about yourself. You are the apple of God's eye. You are. You are prized. You are treasured. You are loved by God. Honestly, you could not matter more to God than you do right now. And that's how you overcome shame. You overcome it by knowing in faith God's grace and by knowing that that grace is found in the eyes of your Savior. So let me challenge you in a couple of ways this week. First, let me challenge you to to take any shame that you might be hiding and share it with some other people around you. Stop letting it hold you in its grip. Share it, get it out in the open so it loses its power over you. Second, recall how Jesus endured different kinds of shame for you. On the cross, he experienced destructive shame, manipulative shame, and the shame of your sin, but he scorned it, remember. Right? He, he went to the cross willingly, freely, so that you could enjoy grace and forgiveness. And then third, remember that you are a loved one in God's eyes. No matter what other people may have done or said, no matter what you may have experienced or felt, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Why? Because you are loved by God. You are the apple of his eye. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for reminding us today that we are the apple of your eye, and knowing that can help us overcome shame. So pour out your grace for those who have been wounded, whether it's by destructive or manipulative shame, but also pour out your grace, Father, on everyone here who's painfully aware of their own sin and shame. And then remind us, Father, that the only place to overcome that shame and find that grace is to look into the eyes of our loving Savior, Jesus where we are the apple of your eye. Lord, thank you for this series. Bless it and bless us through it. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' great name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for taking the time to learn a little bit more about Royal Redeemer. We want you to be a part of our Royal Redeemer family here. May God richly bless you and guide you. And I truly look forward to seeing you soon.